This is The Guardian. Today, he says he'll be the man to change Britain. So did Rishi Sunak deliver? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The public never got a chance to vote for Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister before he entered Downing Street a year ago. But on Wednesday... He laid the foundations for what he hopes is a strategy to win the election that everyone is expecting next year. Today I will set out how we will achieve this, beginning with a set of long-term decisions to build a brighter future for our children and to fundamentally change our country. I'm not on the agenda for today. A bit of a surprise addition, shall we say. Akshata Murthy, Sunak's billionaire wife, introduced her husband as fun-loving, as a man who believed in aspiration, as someone who had to tell hard truths. Please know that Rishi is working hard to do the right thing for the country, not just for now, but for the long term, with honesty and with integrity. Sunak was determined to sell us something different, something new from what he called the politics of old. We've had 30 years of a political system which incentivizes the easy decision, not the right one. 30 years of vested interests standing in the way of change. 30 years of rhetorical ambition which achieves little more than a short-term headline. But did it all add up? And are the public and his party buying it? From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, Rishi Sunak's first conference speech as Conservative Party leader. Will it be his last? Kieran Stacey, you're The Guardian's political correspondent and you've been in Manchester all week at the Conservative Party conference, which from the outside has seemed a pretty chaotic affair. Now, when Rishi Sunak got up to make his first conference speech as party leader. What was he setting out to do and how much did he want to make it about himself? He definitely did want to make it about himself. Now my mother set up her own pharmacy. It was a proper family business. We all chipped in. As a teenager, I helped deliver prescriptions and do the books. I learned there the importance of being able to meet your commitments and make good on your promises. I think one of the things that he has decided is that he's the best asset that Conservatives have right now. And the polling suggests that is largely true. He is more popular than the party itself. He's obviously more popular than either of his two predecessors. But the thing that he was really trying to do is introduce himself as the change candidate. That was one of the most common words in the entire speech. I will lead in a different way. 
because that is the only way to create the sort of change in our politics and in our country that we all desperately want to see. His team has decided that they only win this election if they do so on a change platform. It's incredibly hard to do that after 13 years of Conservative government. And so the end result was his speech was absolutely chock full of contradictions. Well, we'll come back to those contradictions in a moment, but let's talk about the conference. Because despite some headline-grabbing speeches, it was pretty policy-light until Rishi Sunak took to the stage. What did he announce? Policy-wise, there were three major announcements. One we've been talking about for the last 48 hours, if not two weeks now, which was obviously the cancellation of HS2, the northern leg of HS2. It will now no longer be a high-speed train north of Birmingham. I am ending this long-running saga. I am cancelling the rest of the HS2 project. And in its place, and in its place, we will, in, we will reinvest every single penny. £36 billion, the Prime Minister said, will go to other transport projects in the north. So that's number one. Number two was essentially a ban on smoking. Now, if we could break that cycle, if we could stop the start, then we would be on our way to ending the biggest cause of preventable death and disease in our country. The Guardian actually revealed this a couple of weeks ago. So for Guardian readers, it wouldn't have been a surprise. But I think for many people in the hall, it was a bit of a surprise. It's not the kind of thing conservative prime ministers often do, but it is quite a bold policy. It's copying the New Zealand model of making the legal age at which you can smoke one year higher every year, so that essentially in a few decades' time, no one will be allowed to smoke. So that was a really interesting bit of policy. Number three is sweeping changes to the education system, specifically to A-levels, to make maths and English compulsory up to 18 and move towards a kind of more international baccalaureate style of examination for 18-year-olds. We will introduce the new rigorous, knowledge-rich, advanced British standard which will bring together A-levels and T-levels into a new single qualification for our school leavers. Again, you know, quite an interesting policy, and I think one we'll be looking into more carefully over the next few days. The difficult thing was making those three things tie together. So Rishi Sunak would tell us, well, all of these things are very difficult decisions to make and show that I've got the long-term future of the country at heart and I'm willing to make decisions others haven't. But actually, there's no real pattern to them. And one of them, of course, was leaked weeks in advance. And listeners can go back and listen to the Today in Focus about the HS2 announcement. But, Kieran, what exactly did Sunak promise in its place? I mean, the words Network North seem to be used for the first time today. It sounded very exciting. But what was in that plan? Well, we don't exactly know. We know some of the things that he mentioned, including upgrades to roads up north, faster east-west transport links. You will be able to get from Manchester to the new station in Bradford in 30 minutes, Sheffield in 42 minutes, and to Hull in 84 minutes on a fully electrified line. We're trying to figure out now how much of these are new plans. Obviously, we'd heard of Northern Powerhouse Rail before, which was the great plan to have a high-speed link going all the way from Liverpool to Hull. But that actually relied on some of the infrastructure from HS2 to be in place. So... I suspect even the government doesn't quite know how it's going to do all of these things. There is a lot of money there. There's £36 billion, the Prime Minister says. So there's a lot of pet projects they can spend it on. We'll build the Midlands Rail Hub, connecting 50 different stations. 
We'll help Andy Street extend the West Midlands Metro. We'll build the Leeds Tram. We'll electrify the North Wales Main Line. Upgrade the A1, the A2, the A5, the M6. But at the moment, we're still trying to figure out how many of those things are actually new and how many of these things are just extra money for things that have already been announced. And the news that HS2 is cancelled, or at least the leg from Birmingham to Manchester, is it a sign that the party is giving up on those previously Labour-held seats in the north of England, the so-called Red Wall? Obviously, they would say no. And actually, I don't think it is a sign of that. I think what it's a sign of is a very Rishi Sunak thing, which is he's gone through the numbers. He's examined every bit of this in detail. And he's just decided that it doesn't make financial sense to keep funding this programme, which is getting more and more expensive. HS2 is the ultimate example of the old consensus. The result is a project whose costs have more than doubled, which has been repeatedly delayed, and it is not scheduled to reach here in Manchester for almost two decades. I think he's hoping that the fact that he's reinvesting all this money into other projects in the North will show that he's still committed to the North. The problem is HS2 has become emblematic of conservative support for the North. So even if people like what's going to replace it, just the sheer fact of cancelling HS2 to Manchester, especially if a lot of the regional mayors now come out and say you're abandoning us, I think the optics of it could be very bad indeed. He did also decide to make this somewhat a personal speech and there was a decision to have his wife introduce him and talk about his personal values. And of course, Rishi Sunak talked about his own family values and that being central to his beliefs. Do you know, one of the most interesting parts of this speech was when he started talking about his parents and what being the son of an immigrant means to him. And he had this one particular passage. Now, obviously, this is taken from a conservative campaign poster back in the late 70s, early 80s, where he said, what does the Tory party offer to a family of immigrants? The chance to become energy secretary, business secretary, home secretary, foreign secretary, even the chance to become prime minister. The tone of that was so markedly different from what Suella Braverman said just a day or two ago when she talked about a hurricane coming because of migration. The wind of change that carried my own parents across the globe in the 20th century was a mere gust compared to the hurricane that is coming. It was almost like she was framing her own family story of migration as a negative thing. Whereas Rishi Sunak tried to do completely the opposite and frame it as a positive thing. And he did say, you know, I am Britain's first Asian prime minister and I'm proud of that. And then he said, but I'm proud of the fact that it's no big deal. Maybe it's no big deal. And maybe this is partly because my own background as a British Asian. But I would really like to hear him speak more about that, because I think it is one thing that he has really going for him that is different from his predecessors, that is different from so many people who've come before. And I think if he starts to tell that story about why he as a British Asian is a conservative, then it will be much more compelling than trying to position himself as a change candidate when his party's been in power for 13 years. I mean, of course, we say all that, but he wasn't elected. He is a British Asian prime minister by default in some respects. Kieran, there were some loud cheers in the room when Sunak talked about parents should have the right to know what their kids are being taught about relationships in school. And he talked about common sense values. How did it play out in the room? Oh, incredibly well. I mean, I think one of the biggest cheers was 
He said something like, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's just common sense. I mean, that stuff goes down very well among the Tory faithful. And we shouldn't get bullied into believing that people can be any sex they want to be. They can't. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's just common sense. I don't know how strongly he feels about trans issues and identity issues. Might be wrong. I suspect he doesn't feel particularly strongly at all. It sounds strong. I don't know. It was a feature of his leadership campaign, but he says it in a way that suggests he's not really that bothered. I don't personally believe that he is a great culture warrior. I don't think he feels massively strongly about trans issues, but pretty much every single Conservative minister who's spoken this week has touched on that at one point. It's just a crowd pleaser. So he had education, smoking, this new rail infrastructure project, some cultural stuff. Was there anything that linked all of this together, given what you've said about his overall strategy? No, nothing linked all this stuff together. That's the problem for him. I think he's right to have decided that the next election is going to be a change election and that if he's going to win it, he needs to position himself as the change candidate. What he then wants to do is set up a series of issues on which he and the British people are on one side and the Westminster establishment is on the other side. Today we have made three huge decisions to change the direction of our country. We will give Britain the infrastructure it needs, protect the long-term future of our NHS and cut cancer deaths by a quarter and create the best education system in the Western world to set up our children for the opportunities of the future. The problem is, on the four things that he's announced over the last few weeks, none of them quite fit that bill. There's no great Westminster establishment that's in favour of smoking and is standing in his way on that one. On education, you know, these reforms are perfectly sensible things that can be debated by policy experts. But again, there's no particular group of people who say, no, 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 you can't do that. On HS2, obviously there is a big group of people who think that the Prime Minister shouldn't do that, and a lot of them are in Westminster and have been Prime Minister over the last few years. But it's not clear yet whether the British people are on his side of that debate or not. And on net zero, similarly, you know, I would say the Westminster consensus has been in favour of things like the 2030 phase-out for petrol and diesel cars, which he changed a few weeks ago. But again, are the public on his side? That one's just a little more difficult to tell. So he's not quite found the issue, I think, that resonates with what he's trying to bill himself as. One issue that does, actually, is immigration, where the kind of Westminster consensus, if you want to be as blunt as that, is that the Rwanda plan won't work, is probably illegal, and possibly won't even come in. Now, Rishi Sunak obviously doesn't think that, so it wasn't a surprise to me that we heard a lot about immigration during the speech. But actually, there was nothing particularly new in that. And the problem he has, of course, on that particular issue is that we currently have record levels of net migration into the UK. And we've had 13 years of a Conservative government. So it's just difficult for him to really campaign that hard on that issue. But as you said, he has put himself forward and set out his stall as the candidate of change. And part of that is trying to differentiate himself from Keir Starmer and completely attacking the opposition. How did he go about that today? What did he have to say? Well, it's interesting you say that that is about differentiating himself from Keir Starmer, because actually Keir Starmer says almost exactly the same thing. Keir Starmer constantly talks about how the Westminster consensus is broken and how he is the man to take long-term decisions. They are both going to go into the next election saying almost the same 
thing as each other, which is potentially a problem for Rishi Sunak because Keir Starmer has a greater claim to be a change candidate than Rishi Sunak does. But some of the conservative attacks on Keir Starmer do resonate, and they are things that the Labour leader is going to have to deal with. The main one is flip-flopping. But the worst thing about Sir Keir is that he just says whatever he thinks will benefit him the most. Doesn't matter whether he can deliver it. Doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if he said the opposite just a few weeks or months ago. The Tory chairman, Greg Hans, has been walking around Tory conference with a pair of flip-flops in his hand, handing them out to people as he goes. We had several times people saying that Keir Starmer will say anything and do anything to get into power. The one attack that I think really resonated was pointing out that he used to be an ally of Jeremy Corbyn and has then taken on the left of the party. Who knows what he really stands for? Sir Keir Starmer might want us to forget about his repeated support for Jeremy Corbyn, but we never will. You can never... That stuff is potent, and mostly because there's some truth in it. And that is an attack that Keir Starmer is going to have to really tackle head on, I think, in his conference speech in a few days' time. Coming up. What kind of Tory party is Rishi Sunak now leading? And is it behind him? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. 
Well, Kieran, this conference wasn't all about Rishi Sunak and his very long speech. There was also an opportunity for cabinet ministers and prominent Tories to have their say and address the members. Some of it has been pretty wild. Can you tell me exactly what has been said this week? We had Susan Hall, the Tory candidate for London mayor, accusing Sadiq Khan, the Labour London mayor, of somehow being some kind of a threat to London's Jews. So I will ask for as much help as I can get in London because we need to defeat him, particularly for our Jewish community. So thank you for your support. At times, this conference has taken on quite a dark tone. The most bleak speech was probably Suella Bravman's. And she used language that was very, very hardline in its tone. Mark Harper, who is the Transport Secretary, who is regarded in the Tory party as a moderate, has been going out talking about 15-minute city conspiracy theories. Now, for those listeners who don't know what a 15-minute city is, it started out as the idea that you should live within 15 minutes walking distance of local amenities, perfectly sensible, and has somehow morphed in the Conservative mind to become local councils are going to force you to only travel 15 minutes. What is sinister and what we shouldn't tolerate is the idea that local councils can decide how often you go to the shops and that they ration who uses the roads and when and they police it all with CCTV. But it's not just Harper, is it? Sunak's repeated those lines as well and they're pretty far-right narrative adjacent. Yeah, I mean, they must think that there is electoral capital in repeating some of these claims. It feels a little bit like desperation. They must be getting some resonance, but I would imagine they're getting resonance among a very specific group of people and not among a broad spectrum of the electorate. What does it say about the Conservative Party of 2023 and the direction of travel it's taking? Because we've heard that Sunak, for instance, is open to allowing Nigel Farage to rejoin it. Do we have to get used to the idea of this being a much harder right party now? Well, let's see what happens if the Conservatives lose the next election and there's a leadership election. I think that's going to determine a lot of the next few years of Conservative politics. If someone like Suella Bravman, perhaps Kemi Badenoch, wins that election, that will take the party in one direction. If Penny Mordaunt does, or perhaps James Cleverley, that might take it in a different direction. There was an interesting piece written by Sam Coates, who's Sky News' deputy political editor, where he pointed out the similarity between what is going on today in the Conservative Party and what happened in the Labour Party just before Jeremy Corbyn's election as Labour leader. And it is something we in political circles called entryism. It is the idea that a far-right or far-left faction decides to seek membership of a mainstream party in order to change the direction of that party. And that is essentially what seems to be going on with Nigel Farage and his supporters over the last few days. As you say, we've heard the Prime Minister say he'd be open to Farage rejoining the party. This is a man who's campaigned against the Tories for election after election after election. It is obviously surprising that we are here at a Tory party conference with the Prime Minister and we're all talking about Nigel Farage. Even more surprising to me was that he was let in in the first place. How on earth did they let somebody who is not a member of the party, who campaigns vociferously against them, become the star of the show for the last week? Okay, so Rishi Sunak has presented himself as a change candidate. How successful do you think he was in yesterday's speech? 
In certain ways, Rishi Sunak really is a change candidate. He's certainly a change from the last two Conservative prime ministers. He's a change in that I think he brings a sense of calm to the job that has been missing for a long time, brings an attention to detail that's been missing for a long time, brings a seriousness and a work ethic that's been missing from that job. But none of his policies really match up with his narrative of change. They're kind of a scattergun of various different, often quite short-termist, policy changes that he hopes will just get him through the next 12 months. For Rishi Sunak to be a change candidate, I would like to see him do two things, which he seems unwilling to do. Number one, he needs to take on Liz Truss and Boris Johnson head on. He can't keep hinting, oh, I'm a bit different from those guys. He actually needs to show it and he needs to say something about his two predecessors. Now, I appreciate that he didn't win the Conservative Party leadership ahead of Liz Truss when it was properly contested. And he feels hampered by that. But at the same time, he's in the position now. He's trying to take the party in a certain direction. He actually needs to stand up against his two former predecessors. Otherwise, we're going to keep seeing the sight that we saw this week of Liz Truss being the main draw of the Conservative Party conference 12 months after she trashed the economy and was ejected from office. So that's number one. Number two is that he is the child of immigrants and he is the first British Asian Prime Minister. I think it defines him in ways that people don't understand, in ways that he doesn't like to talk about. But it does define him and he should talk about it and he should explain what it means to him as Prime Minister and why it makes him different from those who've gone before. So from everything you've seen, Kieran, does it feel like Rishi Sunak is a man in control of his party? Rishi Sunak is a man just about in control of his party. This party's been through a lot in the last few years, especially with the two former Prime Ministers. There was a sense definitely over the last few days here in Manchester of relief. Listeners may remember the last Tory party conference where the government was essentially collapsing live in front of our eyes, where senior cabinet ministers were going around telling any journalist they could find just how awful Liz Truss was while she was still prime minister. There was none of that here. Rishi Sunak has restored calm. He's restored a sense of optimism. And they were a bit buoyed by a poll in The Observer, which came out just on the eve of conference, showing that they had narrowed the gap significantly with Labour. Other polls have since suggested that might not be true. But there is a sense of cautious optimism, definitely a sense that things have got better, that Rishi Sunak is probably their last option. They don't have any appetite, I think, for another leadership change before next year. And that is keeping him in control for now. But as we mentioned, what on earth will happen if he loses the election? Will the floodgates open? Will the party swing wildly to the right? Or will the Conservative Party regain its instinct for winning elections and its instinct for heading to pretty much where the voters usually are? Karen, thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks very much. That was The Guardian's political correspondent, Kieran Stacey. You can follow The Guardian's coverage of party conference season as it happens on theguardian.com. And there's just time to mention another Guardian podcast. Pop Culture with Shante Joseph is back. And last week, Shante won gold in the Rising Star category of the British Podcast Awards. This week, Shante examines why artists like Beyonce and Taylor Swift are transforming their stadium tours into cinema experiences. And she speaks to R&B singer Mahalia. Find that wherever you got this podcast. And that's it for today. I'm Nishin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles and Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.